guys did that. Such a great opportunity. Pray with me real quick before we jump into God's word. Father God, I thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. And uh, I thank you for the mission that we just kind of, we heard about being on mission. And as we look at that even further today, God, may our eyes be opened and our hearts also as we look at the calling that you have put on our lives as followers of, of Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, you guys set me up perfectly. I got to tell you. Oh, kids didn't go yet? Oh, you didn't? Oh, okay, yeah, kiddos, go. Kiddos, you may go. You did or didn't? That's what I thought. That's what I thought. Um, so yeah, you guys, you guys just like laid the table for this morning's sermon perfectly because this morning we are talking about mission. Is that we are in our, finished coming to the, close to the end of our series on Back to the Basics, and we're talking about uh, mission, and that was a perfect, perfect way to think. I loved how you brought out, see, they have a mission to accomplish what they wanted to do, and so this morning we're going to be talking about mission. Webster's Dictionary defines mission as this, it says, an important goal or purpose that is accomplished by strong conviction, a calling, or vocation. Mission is driven, actually, by, it's driven by values, and it guides a person to do what they're going to do. It, it, it drives them, a person or a company, to do what they do. This is why so many companies, and you'll see it on church websites, families, even individuals, have what they call uh, mission statements. A mission statement is a statement of purpose. It's a written declaration of an organization or of a family or as of an individual's core purpose and their core focus. Let me give you some examples of some mission statements that I found out there. The ASPCA says, to provide effective means for prevention of cruelty to animals through the United States. And I see that one all the time when I watch my TV. That's a depressing commercial. Um, Facebook. Facebook is to give, to give people the power to share and make the world more open and connected. Nordstrom, to give customers the most... I like that door open. The, uh, the most... Really, it's hot. Can we open that? Can we open that door? That'd be great. To give customers the most compelling shopping experience possible. I almost had, I almost had Whole Foods on here. I was going to put that, but because it would have been fun to say how they are the most expensive, but I didn't do it. Um, Google, to organize the world's information and make it universally accessible and useful. JetBlue, to inspire humanity both in the air and on the ground. Wow, that's a big one. Yeah. The school that we meet in right here, the school, Alma Heights Christian Academy, the mission of Alma Heights is to be a community of Christian scholarship and discipleship that nurtures our students' growth in faith, knowledge, and virtue. And lastly, ours. We have, the elders spent months and months kind of reworking our mission where we felt, where we felt the Holy Spirit was leading and guiding as a church where our mission was. And our mission very simply is to help people discover and grow in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, just like companies and churches and all sorts of other people have a mission, so too do we as individual followers of Jesus. Yeah, what sets our mission really apart from all the ones I just read and all the mission statements that are out there, out there, out there is ours is an amazing mission. It's the most amazing mission on the planet. It's so much bigger than who any of us are. 
And just like the important, any important mission, ours includes a specific task which we've been charged. Like you just saw with Samaritan's Purse. They've been charged with a specific task their mission has been to do those things. So what specifically is this? What specifically is the mission of a follower of Jesus? Well, actually, it's the same as what Jesus' was when he was here on earth. When he walked on earth, it's the same one. Listen to the words of Jesus himself at the very beginning, right when his ministry was starting. In Mark chapter 1, he says this. Now, after John, this is John the Baptist, was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So we see that the mission of Jesus was to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. And the purpose of, of the proclaiming, the very purpose that he had for proclaiming this kingdom is so that people, like he says here, would repent, or what this literally means is they would change their minds from a rejection of who Jesus was to an acceptance of who Jesus was and what he had done. Now, we know that proclaiming the kingdom of God wasn't only meant to be done by Jesus. Okay, it wasn't just his job. We see how proclaiming the kingdom was meant to be by so many more. We see, for instance, the apostle Paul. He's a great example of this. It was his life's mission to proclaim the kingdom of God. In the book of Acts, the last two verses even, in the book of Acts, we see how he spent the remaining time of his life, towards the end of his life, probably under house arrest, most likely doing this very thing. Acts chapter 28, verse 31 says this. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. See, ever since his conversion, since the time that Paul was converted, his mission became to proclaim the kingdom of God. And the truth is, as followers of Jesus, we are all called to do this very thing. We are all called to proclaim his mission or to proclaim or to announce the kingdom of God. This is our mission in life. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is your mission. No matter what you do for a job, no matter how old you are, no matter your station in life, this is our mission. And we have, we have an incredibly compelling message, don't we? And this message requires that we take action. But first, what is this? What is exactly, what is the kingdom of God? What is this kingdom of God that we are to proclaim? Well, simply put, and I put it up there for you, the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven, same kind of thing, is God's rule and reign over the entire universe and in the hearts and lives of those who submit to his authority. This is what the kingdom of God is. His rule and his reign over everything, over everything and in the hearts and lives of all those who have put him as the head of their lives. It's what life is, should be like when God is fully in charge. That's what the kingdom of God is. It includes transferring one's allegiance from the kingdom of this world, from the kingdoms of this world, to the kingdoms of God. From having ourselves on the throne to having Jesus on the throne of our lives. 
It's living under this direction, God's total direction and God's total control, knowing that all along, knowing that he cares deeply for us. So we can do that. We can put our complete trust in him. Now, this morning, we're going to look at a short passage, just a couple verses of scripture that particularly help us to understand our mission. Because it's one thing to say, okay, that's it, you guys. Proclaim the kingdom. Let's pray. Goodbye. Well, how do we, what does that really mean? How do we understand how to do that? Well, we're going to look at Luke chapter 10, and we're just going to look at the first three verses here and what that means. Let's look at, let's, let's look at, start looking at the first verse. He says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. So this verse, start, this verse starts off by saying, after this. So we need to know what's after this. What just happened? So what just happened, Jesus had just got done having these three different encounters with three different kind of would-be disciples. People said, hey, I want to follow you, Jesus. I want to follow you, Jesus. But really, these guys were not willing to count the cost. These guys really, really weren't willing to pay the price that it would cost to follow him. One of them was, it was the reality of life that was going to be mainly full probably of rejection and homelessness. For another one, it was being willing to forgo important family obligations and family responsibilities. He wasn't willing to do that. For a third one, it was being willing, willing to completely give up his old way of life and not turn back and look at that at all, okay? Not look back at all at it. And these guys just weren't willing to do that. So that's on the heels of what has just happened because there's a cost. And we're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. Now, from this very first, this first we just looked at, it's important that we notice that Jesus did not confine his ministry to just the 12. We always think that it was Jesus and the 12 disciples that did all the ministry during his lifetime. That's just not true. Notice he points 72 other people. These are people besides the 12 disciples to do ministry and to prepare the way for him. What this tells us is that living out the mission of Jesus was never meant to be just for a select few. It wasn't meant to be just for a select few. We often think that, but it's not. I'm sure many, if not all of these 72, probably felt ill-equipped. Could you imagine these guys? I'm sure they didn't feel like, all right, I'm ready, let's do this. None of these guys have probably been to any seminars or a class on how to share the gospel or share whatever, share the message of God or how to win, win people over and influence, whatever, however that saying goes. They, I'm sure they didn't know. I'm sure they were scared to death. They were excited, but they were scared to death, I'm sure. They probably hadn't gone to any seminars and trained, and they weren't, they weren't necessarily ready, I'm sure. They're pro, but the reality is, is they were prepared. And they were prepared, their preparation came because they were actually had spent time with Jesus. That's where their preparation comes, came from. Their preparation for ministry was from being around Jesus. They listened to what he had to say about the kingdom. They watched as he preached. They watched as, tre- you know, they watched as people rejected him. They watched as people tra- trash-talked about him. They watched how he handled all that. What a classroom. What a way to learn. So often, I know, I've heard people all the time, but I think so often we get, we get fooled into, into believing that those that are, it's really those that are called into ministry or they're elders or they're in the ministry full-time or part-time, they're the ones that are doing the real ministry. They're the ones that are doing ministry that's having a real impact. That's exactly 
what the enemy would want us to believe. That's exactly what the enemy would want every follower of Jesus to believe. He wants as many people as possible to believe that once you become a Christian, okay, you, be, you accept Christ, once you become that Christian, your main task is to gain a lot of spiritual knowledge. Get as smart as you can about God, and that's it. Read every book. Go to all the studies. Be filled up with knowledge. That's exactly what he would love for us to be in that place and not doing the truth is there's much more to following Jesus than that, so much more. Jesus calls every single follower of his to get in the game, every single one, to live out our mission. Can you imagine these companies that I just told you about? Can you imagine if people came to their company and worked for their company and said, oh, that's a great mission, that's really inspiring me. I do not want to work towards that. I got some other stuff I want to do. Probably not going to work there very long. We are called to live out that mission. So no one is meant to be on the sidelines. Nobody, no matter your personality, like I said, no matter your age, whatever, nobody, no follower of Jesus is meant to be on the sidelines when it comes to proclaiming the kingdom of God. Notice in verse seven, they were sent into every town and place where Jesus was about to go. These 72 were sent to prepare the way for Jesus. It wasn't their job to get people saved. It wasn't their job to do more than really just prepare the way for Jesus. As I was studying this, my question was, why in the world would Jesus need someone to go prepare the way for him? He's God for crying out loud. Why would he need people to go kind of, you know, rub shoulders a little bit and get things, get things ready for him? Well, what I can make of this is the beauty and it's the beauty and the mystery of how God works. This is how God works to bring and draw people to himself. He chooses to use you and me. Broken people in order to fulfill his mission to proclaim his kingdom. Every single one of us that calls ourselves a follower of Jesus. Now, if you're a true follower of Jesus, you've been given a spiritual gift, at least one. Everybody plays a crucial role. Every single person plays a crucial role. And if you're a follower of Jesus, most of you know this, that you have been given at least one supernatural spiritual gift for the purpose of building up the body for fulfilling this mission of proclaiming the kingdom of God. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Now, if you don't know what your spiritual gift is, you've been a Christian for a while or not that long or even for a long time, and you're not sure what your spiritual gift is, you know, one way to solve that is to go online and there's multitude of spiritual gift surveys you can take and then talk to someone who knows you and go kind of go over that together, I would just encourage you to discover what your spiritual gift is. And by the way, you don't have to have the gift of evangelism to share the gospel. You don't. You don't, you don't have to have the gift, gift of helps or the gift of service to assist other people. You don't have to have the gift, the spiritual gift of teaching to be able to teach others what the scriptures say. I think so often as Christians, we think, you know what, well, I'm just not gifted that way. That, that's for the people that have that gift. Not necessarily. 
That doesn't mean we just sit back and we do that one slice of what we think God has gifted us to do. We're on mission. We're on mission here. That means we're going to have to do a little multitasking. We have to do some things that necessarily we don't feel fit right in our wheelhouse. I want to encourage you, really encourage you this morning to step out of your comfort zone and to do things for people, to say things to people that signify that you are living out your mission as a follower of Jesus to proclaim the kingdom. He'll show up. He will show up in that. Uh, next couple of things that Jesus tells us that in order to under, help us to understand what our mission is are found in the, next, in the first part, actually, of verse two. It says this. He says, and he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So there's two things that we understand about God's mission from this verse here. He says, one of that, that the great, there's a great opportunity fulfillment here, okay? The harvest is great. There's a phenomenal opportunity, but more people are needed to fulfill it. More people are needed. The truth is that even though it seems like most people, I mean, we think that most people, they don't want to hear it. They don't want the gospel. They don't want anything about Jesus. We think that most people want to have nothing to do with it. The reality is, though, there are myriads of people who are going to respond. There are. There's more people than we could possibly. Have you ever had that happen before? Either with you or someone else, you find out so-and-so became a Christian or became a follower of Jesus, and you went, him? Her? I would, have, I, would have never, I would have never thought. That's happening all the time, all the time. We're not, we don't know what's going on. We don't know all that God is doing to, in the background. Just think, I mean, think about Pacifica itself. Just think about the town of Pacifica and maybe some of the surrounding towns we have here. There are literally the potential for hundreds, if not thousands of people to come into a relationship with Jesus, right? Right? <laughs> there literally is. And we just kind of assume, I know I do sometimes, oh, people don't want to hear. The harvest is plentiful, people. It is plentiful. What this is saying is that those who are on the sidelines need to get out on the field and start living their mission. This isn't a guilt trip or anything. What this is, is it's just an opportunity to do something amazing with your life, is to live out this mission Okay, no matter how small or ill-equipped, it's not about the, okay, I'll do that once I feel like I get some training in that. No, training is valuable, it really is. But if we're all gonna wait to do training in order to share our lives, share the gospel with people, man, the harvest is gonna stay huge. And the laborers are really going to be few. It's not just for the gifted or for the outgoing or the professionals. It's like the football illustration. You've probably all heard this before. Football, the game of football is 22 people on the field who desperately need a rest and 22,000 people in the stands who desperately need exercise. <laughs> so, so often that is the picture of the church. You know, we've probably seen it around here where, golly, look at this handful of people. And that's pretty usually the way it goes in a lot of churches. It's a minority amount of people that are doing a lot of the work. A lot, and they're feeling like, because they, maybe there's their personality or people, or whatever it is, people hold back and they don't jump in. God is, and Jesus is encouraging us here, jump in. Jump in, you're all capable. Every single one of you is called to do it. And if you're called, I'm gonna equip you, so don't worry about it, jump in. So the idea here is, is that 
More people are needed. Look at uh, what Romans 10, I love what Romans 10 says. It says, and, when, and, when, and then, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And so many t- people take this as, okay, that means missionaries. That must mean the people that raise support, go overseas, really, wow, that's incredible. No. How beautiful are your feet, your feet, your feet, your feet, that bring this good news of the kingdom of God. That's what he's talking about here. The idea here is that the more we live out the mission of being a Christ follower, the more that people will repent and come to know Jesus. All right, the next thing, next thing we see to understand God's mission comes from the second, actually the second part of this, of verse two. It tells us that success of the fulfillment of this mission is not only impacted by the efforts of the people that are actually living out those lives, but he's saying here's prayer for more laborers is necessary. We need to pray, actually pray for more laborers. He says, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So he's saying, you need to be praying. We know that it's God who ultimately calls and controls and takes care of all these things, and and he's the one that is going to provide. But at the same time, too, he says, look at who are we supposed to, who are we supposed to make this request to? We're making this request to the Lord of the harvest. He is the one that ultimately controls it. So we're not praying for people to just, God, do something and then help us to figure out how to train them and figure out. No, we're asking the Lord of the harvest, the one who's in complete control already. Ready. So he's obviously going to do the work of helping to equip and helping to train. Obviously, Jesus even tells us that it's God's ultimate desire to do this when he says this. It's the Lord of the harvest. Yet in his sovereignty, he invites us. That's the cool thing. He invites us to participate with him in fulfilling his mission. Every single one of us, he invites in to do that. It's not our job. It's not my job or your job to persuade people to come to Christ, to to arm twist them, to get them to, or get other Christians to join in this mission. Come on, just if you just get off the couch and come on, join us. That's not our job. Our job, according to this verse, is to pray. We are to pray that God will persuade, that God will, conf- will convict laborers to join the mission of proclaiming his kingdom of God. This is a big problem for a lot of us pastors. We get frustrated a lot of times. We think, why aren't more, come, why aren't my people, you know, why aren't there more people jumping in? Why aren't more people, and really the idea here is we have no, there's no room to complain because we're not the ones that could persuade people to do anything anyway. It's not my job to convince you to be on this mission, to get, on, get involved in the mission of God to proclaim his kingdom. It's not my job to convince you. My job is to bring the scriptures to you to show you the truth. It's completely the Spirit's job to lead you in all that. It's not my, I'm, and, I, and the good thing is I don't have to feel pressure from you or the elders to say, come on, Rob, where are the numbers of people in our church? It's not my job. That's not my job. Do I want our church to grow? Heck yeah. I want, to do, I want us to not fit in here at all. 
But that's not my job or even your job or the elder's job to make that happen. That's the Spirit's job. But we need to pray. We need to pray for this to happen. Do you long to see your friends, your coworker, family members, others in Pacifica around here to know Jesus? Jesus tells us here, in order for that to happen, we need to pray for more people to join the mission. That's why we take prayer so seriously here at this church. We have so many multiple opportunities for you to jump into prayer. We pray in the morning before this. We pray on Thursday nights. Pray, you know, we're, we're looking at different ways of even bringing more prayer. We pray, there'll be prayer for people after, after the church, if you, after service, to pray for you after, because we believe that God is saying, just ask me, just ask me, just ask me. We take this so serious. I believe that nothing, and I've told you this before, I believe that there's nothing of eternal significance that is going to happen at Coastside Community Church in Pacifica, or in our workplaces, or in our community, unless we pray that the Lord of the harvest will make it happen. God is inviting us, pray for the harvest, pray that things will happen. Pray that workers will be raised up. Pray that people will come to Christ and jump right in on the mission. Not that they'll sit back and they'll try to get, you know, wait for the training to happen. They will jump into the mission. One more thing. There's one more thing that is important that we understand about our mission. As I mentioned earlier, it's about the risk. Our mission to proclaim the kingdom of God involves risk. Look at verse, verse three, our last verse. Go your way, behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Now, at first glance, it would seem that Jesus is asking us to live out our mission as weak and defenseless creatures sure to be devoured, doesn't it? All right, you excited about this? All right, go, you're gonna get devoured. You're gonna get eaten, you're gonna get eaten alive. That does not sound super promising. The reality is that as we live out our mission, we do face the risk of rejection. We do face the risk of being labeled. We do face the race of ridicule, the risk of ridicule. We face being hated. We face that. I heard just the other day, a Christian was telling me that they came to Christ in their middle age years and said, I was that person that told the Christians, you're a, so stupid for believing that. How could you possibly believe that? That's what we face. That is, that's, what's out, that's what's out there. We know that the world does not embrace our message of dying to yourself and losing your life in order to find it in Christ. We know that. We know that is not a popular message. And we, we've talked in length about that. We went, through, we went through a whole book that was all about being persecuted. We went through the whole book of 1 Peter, all about being, the being, how to be persecuted and what, what might happen. But here, here's the thing. Notice who is sending us out. That's what determines who is sending us out. Jesus says, I am sending. He doesn't say go, just go and do it. No, go, I am sending you out. Jesus is sending out the lambs. And what is Jesus, the good what? Exactly. He is the good shepherd. He is the one that's sending you. He is the one that's causing you to get out of your comfort zone and say, you know what, I really feel God is leading me to do this. Uh-oh. He is sending you out. 
It's the role of the shepherd to protect its flock. And what a protector we have, huh? What a protector we have. Speaking of himself, Jesus says in John chapter 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd does what? Wow, lays down his life for the sheep. Now, this doesn't mean that Jesus is gonna keep us from being persecuted. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean it's not gonna be a struggle or be scary to do stuff for him to live on mission. What it means, though, is we can trust him to strengthen us, we can trust him to equip us to be able to fulfill this mission of proclaiming the kingdom of God. We don't have to wait until we're set, until we're confident. We got it all together. Because the good shepherd says, I'm sending you out. And I'm not only sending you out, I'm sending you out to wolves, okay? I'm sending you out to some scary environment where they hate what you love. But you know what? I got you. I'll give my life for you. But, 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 but I don't, I'm, I get tongue-tied when I talk to people. I got you. I'm your shepherd. But I'm not gifted. I'm, I'm an introvert. I can't. I got you. I've given you a mission. I would never give you a mission without equipping you to handle it. Might you fall on your face a while? Sure. But that's okay. This is my mission that I've given you. It's not just your mission. So he equips us. That's why, even though the risk is great, the possibility of not only survival, but of victory is even greater. So wonderful. We know this. We know this to be a fact because Jesus, at, towards the end of, at the beginning of his ministry, he promised his disciples, actually at the end of his ministry, I mean, at the very end of his ministry, when he told his disciples to go do what he told them to go do, but he said to you, he said what he was gonna give them. He said, in Acts chapter one, verse eight, he says, but you will receive power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, that doesn't mean you're going, okay, you're going to receive power. That's going to make you the most influential, confident person out there to do ministry. Not at all. What that means is whatever happens, whatever good comes out of that, it's going to be his doing and it's gonna be for your good if whatever comes out of it and for his glory. That's what he's saying. I equip you to do, fulfill this mission. The good news is that we are not left on our own. We're not, we're not left on our own to live out our mission. So how do we do this? Let's just, I wanna wrap this up by giving some practical stuff. How do we, as followers of Jesus, practically go about fulfilling our mission of proclaiming the kingdom of God. What does that look like, okay? What are some practical things that we can be doing? I got, I got three things. One is for us, every single one of us, to see ourselves as a discipler. Every one of us to see ourselves as a discipler. At the end of his time here on earth, Jesus came to his disciples, and this is what he told them to do. This is, they, this is what he was gonna give them the power to do. In Matthew chapter 28, he said, and Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go. Go therefore and have great potlucks. Those are good things, by the way. But no, he said, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, which we're gonna be doing. We're gonna be baptizing Amber. By the way, it's right by in front of Taco Bell. So if you want nowhere to go, Taco Bell. Okay, that's where we'll be. 
right at one o'clock, we're gonna baptize her out in that ocean. Baptizing the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Now, once again, this is not a command just for pastors or for elders or people that are more outgoing and more social. It's for every single believer. You see, discipleship is essential is essential, essentially someone who is following Jesus. It's essential in the fact that it is, you cannot be a disciple without being a, a follower of Jesus without being a disciple, okay? They're linked together. A follower of, this follower of Jesus is someone who is learning to be like him in every single way, to conform every aspect of their life to his. Our mission as followers of Jesus is to proclaim the kingdom of God in order to make disciples. That's what our mission is. And th these are not two separate things, okay? A proclaimer is a discipler, okay? A proclaimer is a disciple and a discipler. You see, there, there's this false belief out there that I think many, if not most, Christian circles run around, runs around out there that goes something like this. First, you're an unbeliever. Then you become a believer. Then you grow into being a disciple. And then you become a discipler or a disciple maker. Jesus never, ever taught that. He never taught that way. According to Matthew 28, according to that verse, every follower, follower of Jesus is a disciple and charged with being a discipler. It's what we've been commissioned, the great commission, is we've been commissioned. What a commission is, it's also a command. It's what we have been, if you're a follower of Jesus, we have all been commanded to be disciplers. So what does that look like? What does it mean to be a discipler? What does it look like? Well, I'm not gonna go into a lot of details, but all I can tell you, it's not, it's not a program. There can be programs to help people be better disciplers, but it's not just a program. It's simply coming alongside other people and being very intentional about helping them to know Jesus. That's what a discipler is. That's what a disciple maker is. Someone who comes alongside others and is intentional about helping them to know Jesus better. And by the way, if you've been a Christian for a week, you can help people know Jesus better because <laughs> there's plenty of people that don't know Jesus. So there is no time qualification here. I love what the author Bill Mowry says. He says this, he serves on the Navigator staff and he says this, despite our weaknesses and fears, Jesus invites us to participate in the Great Commission by helping people live for Christ in the here and now. All you have to do is live intentionally, Love God and journey alongside others life to life. Not what we've always heard, especially if you've grown up in church most of your life. Okay, get in this discipleship program and then we'll get this program and then we'll get this program and those things are good and those things are okay. But then we limit it to that. If every one of us is called to be a discipler, that means we can all be intentional and walk alongside somebody and help them know Jesus better. You don't need to find the right book for that. There's some great books for it but you don't have to. You can come alongside your coworker. You can come alongside anybody and help them to be more like Jesus. That's what we're called to do and to do it intentionally.
All right, another way. That's the first way. Another way to uh, practically go about fulfilling our mission is to watch to see where God is working and then join in. Watch to see where God is already doing something and then jump in. Uh, John, uh, John chapter five, verse 17 says, my father is always at work to this very day and I too am working. The reality is that God is always at work all around us. He's not taking a break to fulfill this mission, ever, not for a second. He's always positioning people and events into perfect alignment in, according, in a way to, so he can fulfill his purposes. He's always doing things like that, making things work. Sometimes, for us, it's an unexpected opportunity you sense the Holy Spirit giving you an opportunity to talk about spiritual things with someone. Has that ever happened to you before? Where all of a sudden there's this, a door just kind of goes, just opens wide and you're going, oh, oh my gosh. You know, it's like, are they really asking that question? Or could I really share my personal thing about this and how Jesus has had an impact on my life? And that happens. It happens all the time. We gotta be looking for those and ready for those unexpected opportunities, or it's an opportunity to meet a real need that somebody has. Instead of wondering who's going to meet it, realizing, hey, there's no reason why I can't do this. No reason. I love that. That's exactly what these guys did. Why? Look what God is already doing. God is already doing a great work with an organization. Why aren't I jumping in? Why, why not? Why, why should it? Same thing with Alpha Pregnancy Center or, or anything, any other ministry or whatever ministry we have going here at our church or anywhere in town. God's already working. What I just, what's keeping me from it? What is it? That's being on mission. That's how we can practically do it instead of going, I wonder what God wants me to do. Just look around. Look around what God's already doing and jump right on in. All right, maybe it's inviting someone even to buy, like we have women's Bible study coming up, we have a men's Bible, all these things, inviting people to these things so they can, even if they don't believe, you know, bring your Muslim friend to women's Bible study. It's a fantastic idea. My wife was telling me, who's overseas, she's, she's been a part of a women's Bible for a long time, and she knows of many times, oftentimes women in Muslim or, or Hindu, different things, they are wondering about what the Bible has to say. They're not completely, we think, oh, they're, they're closed off. because they're, No. There's opportunities. God's working already. Why not say, hey, are you, they bring up a spiritual interest. Hey, you want to come with me to this Bible study? We're going to talk about the Bible. Yeah, it's going to, just so you know, this is what it's going to be about. You might just be blown away and they'll go, I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll come. And you'll go, right? That's when we go, oh no, they said yes. <laughs> yeah. But it's true. That's what we need. That's how we need to be doing. Okay. And the last way, third way to practically go about fulfilling our mission is ask where the kingdom of God needs to be made known. God, where does it need to be made known? Where are people just not doing things? When we aren't stepping into those opportunities, we should be asking God to show us how we might play a part. God, how can I play a part? I don't necessarily see around me. I don't feel like that's what you're leaving. But how can I be a part of something where you're not doing something? I don't see you doing it anything right now. Because see, the reality is, is when we open ourselves up to be willing to do whatever God asked us to do in fulfilling his mission, he often blows our minds and surprises us on how, with how things work out for us being a part. It means being willing to ask God to surprise you. Have you ever done that before? Hey, God, surprise me with an opportunity to proclaim your kingdom. 
That's a great prayer. Be careful. Be careful if you pray that one because chances are he just, he just might answer that one. There are places and people that desperately need to hear the good news that Jesus gives new life. And I'm not talking about just in the jungles of Africa either. Could be in the home that's right next to your home. God surprised me with an opportunity to, to share the love of Jesus with my neighbor because I don't see anything happening there. Be ready for you doing what, I'm serious. You pray that prayer, you be ready for God to do things and use you in ways that you never dreamed possible. Ever dreamed possible. But Rob, you don't know my personality. Doesn't matter. The good shepherd is sending you out. The truth is that being a part of a mission of proclaiming the kingdom of God, it's not easy. I don't mean to say that when I say just get out there and do it. It's not, it is not easy. Our flesh fights against it. I know mine does all the time. But it's gonna require us to step out of our comfort zone and trust that God will provide the strength and the wisdom. I wanna close this quote. Henry Blackaby, many of you have heard of him, came out a long time ago, quite a while ago, with a very popular workbook called Experiencing God. Well, in one of his other books, here's what he writes. Will God ever ask you to do something you're not able to do? The answer is yes, all the time. It must be that way for God's glory and kingdom. If we function according to our ability alone, we get the glory. If we function according to the power of the spirit within us, God gets the glory. He wants to reveal himself to a watching world. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you have given each and every one of us this call to fulfill your mission, to proclaim your kingdom. And I know for some of us in this room, that's a very scary thought, what that might look like. So I just pray, Father, for every single one of us that you would give us the courage to, even if we feel like we have been doing that, to step even further out of our comfort zone, to be willing to proclaim your kingdom. Because as you say, the, the harvest is so plentiful, so plentiful, and the laborers are few, God. So we pray that you would bring laborers, you would add laborers to the workforce, that you would encourage us on how we fit into that and what we can do. Show us how we can honor and glorify you. In your son's name, amen. amen.